Welcome to the Seedfield Podcast, the show where Antiochians share their knowledge, tell their stories, and come together to win victories for humanity. I'm your guest host today, Lauren Instanis, and I'm going to be taking over the duties of our usual host, Jasper Nighthawk, who's actually joining me in the studio today to have a little conversation. Thank you for inviting me to help introduce your interview. I'm really excited about it. And especially, it's fun to have you on the other side of the microphone, Lauren. You normally are in the studios, but in a in a role that people don't hear specifically. You're our editor and producer, and you kind of work your magic behind the scenes. But today, you got to go on the other side of the microphone and actually be the interviewer. So can you tell me who you interviewed? Yes, it was a great conversation. I got to talk with Jocelyn Robinson, who is a former alum and actually a current Antioch professor. I remember when we booked Jocelyn onto the show, I was excited because I got to help edit a profile that we ran of her in the 2020 alumni Antioch Alumni Magazine. It specifically delved into the archival work she'd done digging through the radio station WYSO in Yellow Springs, which was started by Antioch students and was long affiliated with the university. And she kind of had pulled up just the most fascinating archival audio and was using it and sharing it in the 21st century. I I love that article as well. And we actually got to jump kind of off of that article. And we talked a little bit about that work, but focused this interview a lot on her oral history work and the project she's doing in Dayton with WISO collecting these oral histories, specifically a big project called West Dayton Stories. That's super cool and seems perfect because, Lauren, didn't you yourself get a – aren't you an oral historian and you have a master's degree in oral history? I do, yes. And so it was just really exciting for me to get to have this conversation with her and talk about all the the cool projects she's running and get to listen to a lot of the amazing stories that, that are coming out of those. I love your enthusiasm there. Let's just let's roll the tape and jump right in. I'm Lauren Instanis, and I will be your guest host for this episode. Today, I'm very excited to interview Jocelyn Robinson. She's an alum and a current Antioch professor, and a radio producer and also an oral historian. Oral history, for those who don't know, is the process of interviewing living people about their life experiences so that it can be documented and preserved. Between Jocelyn's radio work and her work with archived audio and her oral history work, there are almost too many things that I am excited to talk with her about today. Jocelyn Robinson holds a master's in cultural studies with a concentration in race, gender, and identity from Antioch, and she currently teaches in our online undergraduate program. At Antioch, Jocelyn became interested in oral history, and after graduating, she began working in radio. She has been a producer at WYSO, a radio station in Yellow Springs, Ohio, since 2013. In her work there, she has led community projects and produced shows, including Rediscovered Radio, Community Voices, and West Dayton Stories. She is also a member of the African American and Civil Rights Radio Caucus of the Radio Preservation Task Force at the Library of Congress. And she's currently working on a project to survey the archival holdings of radio stations at HBCUs, historically Black colleges and universities. Jocelyn describes herself as an educator, a media producer, and a radio preservationist, and I'm so excited to talk with her more about her work today. 
So welcome to the Seedfield Podcast, Jocelyn. Thanks for having me, Lauren. I'm happy to be here. So to start off our conversation, because our listeners can only hear our voices, I wanted to take a moment to disclose our old positions in this conversation. We do this every episode, and I think it's especially important today, since we will be talking a lot in this conversation about whose voices stereotypically get heard and how we listen to those voices, especially within a society that has strategically tried to silence certain communities. So I would like our listeners to know that I am a white cisgendered woman, I don't identify as disabled or chronically ill. I'm queer, but I hold a lot of privilege in there as well as I'm femme presenting. And on an economic level, I grew up in the middle class in a home in Wisconsin and have always had a stable housing and income situation. So Jocelyn, um, can you let our listeners know as much as you're comfortable with where you're coming from in this conversation? Certainly. In fact, my positionality informs my work pretty directly. I am what some might term a mixed-race woman. My father is African-American. My mother is is white and from Liverpool, England. And that sort of multicultural, multiracial upbringing, I'm the oldest of six. I I live in a small town. I'm a cisgendered woman. I I don't identify as um, differently abled or... I also have a good deal of privilege having been raised in a, in a household that was pretty, you know, solidly lower middle class. But I'm the oldest of six. And at this point in my life, I am in my late 60s. And that is a positionality that I think is an often overlooked, age is an often overlooked position. And that does inform my work quite a bit, um, having the, the sort of long view from here to the, the distant past. So, Yeah, I, I totally agree that it definitely has a, a big impact on positionality. And thank you so much for, for telling all of us that. So I will jump right into the questions. Um, and I want to talk first about your work getting into radio. After your studies at Antioch, you really started getting involved with radio production and with WYSO. I want to give the listeners a little bit of a background on WYSO. It actually was a student-run radio station at Antioch in the 1950s and onward. And so it has a lot of really fascinating recordings in, in its archives, which you graciously share with us on Rediscovered Radio. And one of those most famous speeches amongst these recordings is a speech by Martin Luther King Jr. that he gave at an Antioch commencement ceremony. But there are also great recordings of conversations with people like Cesar Chavez, Flo Kennedy, and so many more. So the work that you do is um, centered on sharing these restored tapes with the public through short edited pieces on WYSO. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about why radio? Like, why was it a good medium for you to be able to tell the types of stories that you were interested in sharing? Well, it really was a happy accident. I didn't intend to become a radio producer in my late 50s, but I had completed a a master's degree in cultural studies, as you you mentioned, and focused on self-definition and identity as my main topic. And that was underpinned by a real focus on qualitative research and narrative practice and bringing to the forefront lived experience as theory. And I did a lot of interviews and encouraged women to tell their stories through that that work. 
And actually, after I, I finished that project, I, I worked at a historically black college for eight years. And within that time, I was thinking about doing a project about my family and about our multiraciality and about how that shifts and changes and identity shifts and changes over generations, over time, particularly when people of color marry people who are white and their offspring marry people who are white. And as time goes on, the, that racial identity changes. And I got talked into taking the Community Voices production course at WYSO. And when I created my first piece, my first assignment, I was bitten by the bug to make, <laughs> to make audio, to make media. And the educator part of me had been kind of there all along, but I shifted, shifted a lot of uh, my teaching to uh, working with folks to learn to make radio. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, you're, the work that you've been producing is amazing and educational, I think, in its own right as well. And I was listening to, you're also, you work with YSO, but you're also an independent producer. You've been producing kind of independent pieces. And I was just listening to your piece about the flag. And it's so funny because I was like, I knew exactly which flag you were talking about. I, I went to school in um, near where Jocelyn lives. And and there's this huge flag that you can see from the interstate. And I've never like I've always been like, why is it there? Why is it big? Like what like what is it about? And um, your piece goes into that, but also into what the flag stands for. Why do we use it in all these different ways? And then kind of comparing it to Germany as well and their relationship to their flag. And these pieces just seem like a great opportunity and a great medium to to share these types of in-depth pieces of knowledge that like you might not get anywhere else. And so I, I was just wondering if you want to talk at, at all about how you're using these, these pieces to kind of get into the weeds of topics and issues that you might not get to expand on somewhere else. Well, that particular piece was created for a podcast that really is examining abstract ideas and that's been a blast. I've, I've done several pieces um, for the project, and I'm working on one right now about the emotion grief. And it's been just kind of amazing to be able to take a, a, a topic and dive into it and really explore it through these projects. I've been given a lot of freedom as a producer to do that, and that's been pretty remarkable. I, I mean, the editorial influence of the presenting organization is really about, you know, diving in and exploring and not being dictated to as a, as a maker and a creator. So that's been really exciting. That's great. And, and I want to go back a little bit to your, to, to how this work with the archives at WISO has kind of informed your current work um, because one of your big projects right now is working with HBCU campuses to survey and preserve their archival holdings at, uh, of their radio stations at these schools. And you're going to start traveling to those soon, I'm, I've been told. And so can you share a little bit about what your hopes for this type of work is? Well, you know, I think one of the driving forces for me is to fill in the gaps where the voices that have been unheard exist. And one of the things that I hope to do with this project is to 
help nurture a, an ethos of preservation at HBCU radio stations and build a model for small college and community-based radio stations to really understand the value and importance of their materials and the programming that they've produced within and for their communities. So I'm real excited about getting back on the road. I've, I've visited a, a fair number of, of stations during the first phase of this project, which was funded by the National Recording Preservation Foundation. And currently, I have a, a, a Mellon Foundation grant that is taking the project into a new phase where I'm working with the Northeast Document Conservation Center in, in Andover, Massachusetts to provide training and resources and inspiration, we hope, um, mm -hmm. to the radio stations and their institutional archives to, to really think about not only preserving the materials from the past, but the materials that are being created in the digital environment right now. So again, it's building a model that can that is replicable that can be taken to not only the 29 um, HBC radio stations that are currently in existence, but to any small radio station that has a legacy that it wants to preserve um, within its community. And that can be tribal stations, it can be you know rural stations in different parts of the country, um, as well as at other colleges and universities. So. Um, it's pretty exciting ground. It's yeah. groundbreaking work. Nobody's really done yeah. anything like this before. And so getting back onto the road and being able to make site visits and connect the, the institutional archivists with their radio station folks and, and talk about what that radio station has meant to the community and the worth and value um, there to preserve that material is, is that's really exciting work. Yeah. I was just about to say that, you know, you're, you're doing this work that nobody else is is looking at and and you don't know what what important information you have in these stations until you get into those weeds and and preserve it and have it available for people digitize it make it available on the web i'm i'm sure that's part of your work but but that's so exciting and i also love that you've brought in the um preserving what's going on in the digital space currently because that's the other side of your work is is preserving current stories and and that kind of stuff and I want to I want to jump into that because the the projects that you've been running for WISO have done amazing work preserving stories from the Dayton community and the big one that you're working on is West Dayton Stories which you currently direct and I think it provides a really cool comparison but also you know it, it goes really well with the the work that you do with archival material as you were just saying that uh, you've you've gone from you know working with this historical article audio and then now preserving like the local histories of of older generations, but also younger generations and their views of the world. And so what prompted you to make that switch and, and have that focus on living people and, and their lives and their stories? Well, you know, as a producer and a storyteller, you go where the stories are, <laughs> for, mm -hmm. for one thing. But as a, as a member of the Community Voices, the, the Eichelberger Center for Community Voices at WYSO, we're the, the sort of branch of the organization that that works with community members and not only to make content for the radio, but to provide a community service in um, helping uh, members of the community tell the stories that are important to them. So 
the you know that's that's really the charge of of the Eichelberger Center for Community Voices. So um, working with the archives is just one part of the work that takes place at the at the radio station and kind of moving toward that more contemporary storytelling piece and definitely working with communities that have historically as i said been left out of the mm-hmm. of the dialogue and uh, making sure that voices that we haven't heard have an opportunity to be heard and and I think that, you know, WISO has been really well positioned to do that as a community radio station and, and as a public radio station. So really serving our public more intentionally and more thoroughly than it has been served in the past is, is a part of what we're about. And, and these projects really respond to that. Yeah, that's the great part about local work like that, that you can like preserve what's going on in your actual community and 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 here then have people tune in and listen to what's going on in their actual community and big you know mainstream stations are are great for what they are but sometimes it's really important to hear what's people's views and opinions and and what's going on in your actual community and so i i wanted to talk about the the actual stories that you work with in this west Dayton stories project I know it grew out of your Senior Voices project and where you're, you're documenting stories of seniors within the Dayton community, but then you focused in on West Dayton stories. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about West Dayton and and what kind of stories you're preserving there and why. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about how it came into being first. Um, when we were doing the Senior Voices project, we were working with the Dayton Metro Library System and Rebuilding Together Dayton uh, social services agency that's national, but in Dayton, it was working with low-income seniors who owned homes to keep them in, you know, keep folks in their homes. And so the storytelling was really focused on seniors. And one of the things that happened was the word got out that we were doing this project and we were approached by the Citywide Development Corporation um, staff from that agency and they wanted to get in on it but we had pretty much already finished our production cycle at that point we were in the midst of it and we thought well this is something that would be really valuable apparently there are housing developments in the Dayton area that are aged and are going offline they're going to be replaced by other housing um, developments and the residents there had that Many had lived there for generations, but they had this wealth of stories and these this wealth of of elders that we stand to lose here as time goes on. So they really wanted to 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 get something going. And so we talked about it for a while. We thought about it, and we figured if we can find the funding for it, we'll take this project on. And it took us a couple of years. But taking that project on involved, a lot of community meetings, a lot of organizing within the community to get the project off the ground. It probably took us about almost two years to identify and bring on board a small group of community producers to do the storytelling and be trained to tell stories, do interviews, go, go out into their own communities and find the folks who, who have stories to tell. And we were training, uh, we began training in January of 2020. Mm-hmm. So the training was, was scheduled to be completed by 
March of 2020. And at that, after that point, the, the community producers would, would fan out into the community and, and, and begin gathering stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we all know oh, what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but you pushed through. I, and I think that's amazing. You know, I've listened to your, in your very first episode, you talk about how the pandemic hit when this started, but you've pushed through and, and like, I know within the oral history community, everybody was freaking out, you know, how are we going to interview people? We can't go to their houses. We can't sit down with them and talk with them and, and all of these things. And so how did that go for you? How did you push through that challenge? Well, one thing that happened was we, we pivoted to Zoom and, mm-hmm. you know, we started meeting virtually once a week. And the group of, of us, the, the, the community producers from the West Dayton community, we, we bonded and we lifted each other up and we held each other up during the, the sort of darkest part of the, of the early pandemic. And knowing, you know, we kind of waited to see what would happen and then figuring out that we couldn't wait any longer if we wanted to stay engaged and also chronicle what was going on in the community. So we, what we realized and what I realized too from my own academic work and others, we became participant observers, essentially. What we ended up doing was a series of commentaries and each of the community producers told their own stories. So we workshopped um, short essays on coping with the pandemic the second round was on the election and what voting meant in the in the black community and the third round of commentaries was on black joy because we so often focus on the pathology of you know socioeconomic and racial disparities that we don't focus enough on how beautiful it is to be alive and and to be who we are so that really helped folks to con- to continue their skill building to really find their voices that was ex- the exciting part i know commentary really it's it's you your voice it's coming from your core and that prepared us to take some time to figure out how we were going to tell stories in the community without being able to really be fully engaged in the community but this time we interviewed each other. The, the community voices interviewed each other. And so we're able to start flexing that muscle a little bit. So that was really pretty exciting because each one of the community producers is very engaged in the West Dayton community. And we were able to cover everything from looking at redlining and the sort of the, the impact that that had on the Dayton community can, and continues to have on it in terms of disinvestment and and how that is beginning to slowly shift based on the energy that's coming from the community itself. We talked about the Gem City Market, which is a co-op that is community owned and was the community's response to food apartheid, which was caused by redlining. And from there, talking about wellness and gathering spaces and how important um, it, it, it is to have those spaces in the community. We talked about a, an urban gardening project that has its roots back in the 70s, but is, has been rejuvenated and, and the sort of reclamation of 
the agricultural heritage of many African Americans and and bringing that into you know concert with the the market and being able to uh, provide the community with fresh vegetables and and skills that, that relate to growing our own food and and self sufficiency and self reliance and from there talking about the community itself the west dayton neighborhoods and and the vibrancy of those neighborhoods and the creativity that's emerged out of them and the you know the history that 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 exists there but also the movement of of young people and young creatives on the west side who are you know rewriting rewriting the the current history and so we're poised right now to to share th- that with the community in some different ways that I'll, I, I can talk about, but but also looking to um, this summer where if we are truly in an endemic um, situation with the coronavirus to be able to get back out there and gather stories before they are lost, generally you know, going back into the, the elders of the community and inviting them to, to share their stories with us. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Wow, what a wealth of knowledge you guys are collecting from that community. And I know that you are um you're storing those at the Dayton Metro Library, correct? Like the full interviews? That's where we have had the the Senior Voices project in the past. The project that we're we're currently working on is still kind of wide open about where it's going okay. to be available. Although um, we do have some, you know, exciting experiments coming up with uh, how we're going to preserve and share stories. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you next to talk about those because I know that some of them are being made into, you know, these small clips that you share on WYSO and, and online. But I know that there are you guys have other plans for getting these stories actually into the hands of the community that you're working with. So could you share a little bit about about how you guys are going to go about doing that? Sure. We are producing a zine that is based on our fall series that I just described in which the community producers interviewed each other around their passions and their their work within the community. So the zine has photographs, it has gardening tips, it has tips on how to take photographs um, because one of the, the community producers is a photographer. There's also one of the community producers is a, a wellness professional who teaches yoga. She's a nurse practitioner, and um, she has some tips about using herbs to make a tea that's um, wellness, a well wellness tea. And the whole piece is filled with QR codes that if you take your smartphone and scan them, that'll take you to a YouTube site where the entire interview is posted. So you can hear not just the little clip that was, you know, in the produced piece that aired on WYSO, but you can hear the entire conversation between the two community producers. And what's really cool is that this is a print piece that can be distributed to folks who aren't necessarily listeners of WYSO and who, you know, public radio station is not necessarily part of their media diet, and we can invite them into uh, learning more about our project and what we're doing within the community, and, you know, they can get a taste of it. Yeah. 
seems like a great way to get people excited about it and to maybe want to share their own story with you guys exactly. when, you, when you get to go out into the community. Exactly. We do put a, in the in the zine we are putting out a call for for um, folks to tell their stories around um, this one um, particular housing complex that uh, the DeSoto Bass Apartments that that is going to be undergoing some changes uh, over the the next few years. So that, that that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's great. And it makes it so I'm glad that you are you're figuring out ways to make it accessible to the community that it actually is very valuable to. And, um, and so I want to kind of move into, you know, like you you're doing a lot of this work. And, and I know that you're a big part of the education in that where you're teaching other people how to do this type of work. And, you know, there is there's this work is extremely important, but I also think it's extremely important to do it in the right way. And and I don't think that there is a, a specifically a right way, but I I do know that there is some wrong ways that you can you can go about doing this work, especially where you know like it's it's super scary to just share your story with a stranger or you know someone you've never met before, and and especially in a world where we've had you know, reporters come and and take quotes from people and misuse them and all this media where your story could be misconstrued or something like that. And and we don't want to replicate trauma in communities that have already been oppressed and used in, in various ways. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you do this type of work and how you teach others to do this type of work in a way that respects the the people on the communities whose stories you're documenting. Right. Well, in this particular case, I see my role as facilitator, and uh, I'm not the producer. I'm not the the one telling the story. And as a representative of WYSO, I'm here to amplify the stories. And I would say that, you know, as I talked about at the beginning of the project, we spent months and months going to community meetings and talking about our ideas for the project with the community and getting feedback from folks about what the project could look like and who should be involved and those sorts of things. So, you know, we didn't just parachute in and start, Mm -hmm. you know, extracting the stories from the community. We tried to build relationship and, and have tried to build a platform for the community to utilize. And I think the training has very much been about providing the skill set and the equipment to be able to tell, do this kind of storytelling. And there's a lot of freedom involved for the community producers in terms of how to approach a story or how to approach a topic. And knowing that there are moments when editorially we have to stand behind that stance and that that openness to hearing perspectives that aren't the perspectives that we're always used to hearing um so yeah it's been a pretty awesome project to to work on and to test the commitment that the organization has to being anti-racist to being in service to the fullness of our community in the in the region and you know that yeah that it it feels like really good work yeah 
feels like really good work. Yeah, I love I love that you're you're pushing and making sure that that commitment stays stays true and and sharing those stories. And how has the community responded to hearing these stories? And and I know you haven't put those zines out there, but the people who have heard them on WISO, what has the response been like? You know, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. And um, you know, we're, it's a small part of what WISO does. And, you know, the commitment to community goes pretty deep and, and broad here. I mean, there are other radio stations and, uh, you know, that have community-based projects. But I think ours is, is really pretty special because this small group of producers, of community producers, they have the skill set that people who work for NPR have now. Yeah. and. Yeah. You know, that so their capacity for storytelling, not just for WISO, but for all of the other things that they do within the community and the other parts of their lives, you know, it's pretty, you know, pretty substantial. So they can go on to produce lots of other content that is super important and shows their perspective on things as well. Absolutely. Well, we are almost at the end of our time together, but I wanted to close with talking about how, you know, both of these aspects of your work, the preserving media from the past and also producing media about the current communities relates to your goal as an educator. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the educational opportunities that you see this work providing like yourself, what have you learned? What have you seen the communities that you're working with learn? And also what, what do you think that people from outside of these communities can learn through listening to these stories? Well, you know, the, the more we know about our neighbors, the, the less they become others. Mm-hmm. So I think that part of gathering and sharing stories widely like this is, you know, to keep us in community, keep us in communion with others. And when we share our our hopes and dreams and fears and values and excitement and, and love for each other and, you know, and for ourselves, we we knit together in ways that are important and, and certainly even more important in these these times where we've had to be so isolated from one another. So I think that's one of the most important things about it is that, you know, the more we know about each other, the better we can take care of one another. Yeah, I love that so much. Thank you. That seems like a great place to end our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving us your time today. And everybody should go and listen to all these stories on WISO because they're they're really incredible. Yeah. Thanks for having me. The undergraduate programs that Jocelyn has taught in are available through our online campus, Antioch Online. We have a link to more information about this in our show notes. Jocelyn's story about a giant flag is available on the podcast, The Big Ponder. West Dayton Stories and Jocelyn's other radio productions run live on the air on WYSO, and they can also be streamed on the station's website, which we'll link to in the show notes. We post these show notes on our website, theseedfield.org, where you'll also find full episode transcripts, prior episodes, and more. The Seedfield Podcast is produced by Antioch University. I'm Lauren Instanis, and for today's episode, I was the guest host as well as the editor. Jasper Nighthawk is the host for the Seedfield Podcast. A special thanks to Karen Hamilton and Melinda Garland. Thank you for spending your time with us today. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you next time. And don't forget to plant a seed, 
sow a cause, and win a victory for humanity. From Antioch University, this has been the Seedfield Podcast. Podcast.